Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Saturday, September 3rd, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Reaction was pointed to President Biden's speech this week in which he slammed former President Trump and what he called MAGA forces. The White House insists it was not a political address. Focused on attacking his political opponents, not just folks who are the most extreme of the Republican candidates. I'm Kevin Cork. California and almost a dozen other states go all in on an electric car future, but potholes persist in the present. We get to 2035 when they say every single new car and pickup truck in California will have to be zero emissions. But no, the infrastructure is not there right now. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This week, President Biden gave a speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. I ran for president because I believe we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I still believe that to be true. But it was the two Marines standing behind him and dark red lighting that cut through the night sky that caught the attention of many. One reporter noted the president spoke on the grounds of a national park and took direct aim at his predecessor and Republicans, saying that's something you don't see every day. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence. The president said he was not condemning all those millions of people who voted for then-President Trump in 2020. But there's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. He said he would not stand by and watch wild conspiracy theories and baseless claims of fraud, that he won't stand by and watch elections be stolen by people who simply can't accept that they lost. An Associated Press article about the speech said it marks a sharp recent turn for the president, who had preached his desire to bring about national unity in his inaugural address. It was both a high-minded speech trying to contrast the Trump wing of the Republican Party. Josh Krasauer is senior political correspondent at Axios and a Fox News radio political analyst. With the re- mainstream Republicans and, and talking about the danger they pose to democracy. But it was also a very partisan speech where this was not a high-minded address that just focused on democracy. It focused on Biden's domestic agenda. It focused on attacking his political opponents, not just folks who are the most stream of the Republican candidates and focused on attacking the whole Republican opposition in principle. So this was a speech that was branded, was sold as sort of this high-minded speech protecting democracy. But when you actually looked at the text, actually looked at what was in it, it was a much more partisan speech, uh, sort of a speech trying to demonize and diminish the Republican opposition. Yeah, some of the criticism was, you know, why are you critics so focused on the dark red lighting or, you know, the backdrop? Worry about the content. And on that front, you have people saying 
you know, this was a taxpayer funded event. You told us was not political. But if former President Trump runs again in 2024, as he's really hinted, um, and you're mentioning him and his supporters and Republicans sort of broadly, you know, two months out from midterms, is it fair to say, okay, well, maybe you didn't mean it to be political, but it it was. It was. And and when you're doing a speech right on the week before Labor Day, Labor Day is the kickoff of, of the midterm election season. And for this speech to be timed right before that, to be as, as partisan and, ha- you know, using using the type of red meat rhetoric that the president did, um, you know, they wanted to get all the broadcast networks to, to cover this speech. Uh, only uh, only a couple of cable news channels did, but that, that they, they kind of played play, play hard and fast with, with that with that uh, ask, because this was not a, 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 a government White House speech. This was a partisan political speech. And even if you agree with what the president said, it, it wasn't the type of address that was initially advertised. Some well-known reporters tweeted about it. You know, Jeff Mason at Reuters said, you know, the White House had said this was not a political speech. CNN and CBS anchors and reporters were noting the Marines standing in the background saying it was a break from tradition. Um, and they noted that the president took aim at his predecessor and Republicans. The, the White House deputy press secretary, as you know, fired back with a number of article headlines from those very outlets that cover January 6th and the riot and the protest demands about the election saying, you know, you guys covered this. These are your headlines. The president's just pointing out the same things. What did you make of the White House's response to the criticism from others in the media? Yeah, I mean, look, if this was simply a speech about like what it takes for a healthy democracy to thrive, if it was talking about some of the most extreme elements of individual people, and how they don't live up to those principles, if it, if it was not talking about um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, right, if it wasn't talking about uh, right. the bills that Biden, then maybe you have a better argument, maybe you have a better case to make. But this was a, kind of like three speeches in one, you had the components of this high-minded address, the soul of the nation address. But a lot of it, frankly, was just a sort of a basic campaign speech that just talks about the contrast between both parties' agendas. And that's not about democracy. That's not about saving uh, the country's political health. That that is about your agenda versus the other party's agenda. And that's what made it sort of a bait-and-switch, if you will, and how Mm. they reframed and branded the speech and how it actually turned out. Yeah, he the president clarified on Friday, he was asked by our own Peter Ducey, you know, do you think all Trump supporters are threats? And he said, you know, no, that um, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, you know, that that anyone who calls for the use of violence or wants to change the way votes are counted, that that is a, the threat to democracy. Does he need to further clarify or did it seem pretty clear that when he said MAGA Republicans, that he was talking about the, the people who actually did the voting? It would help to mention names, frankly. Um, it would be helped if you want to mention Lindsey Graham, saying that there could be threats of riots if, if uh, you know, there, there's legal action taken against the former president. Say it, right? Don't, 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 don't hide behind, you know, labels. So say it out loud and say who you're talking about. Otherwise, it, it, it um, you know, it, it was almost too. Again, it, it, if you're really committed to the bit, if you're really committed to <laughs> the American democracy is under threat. And I think, look, I think there's some very good points to be made. I don't, you know, I, I think it's it's hard fundamentally for a whole lot of folks to disagree with that 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 central argument that you have extreme Republican candidates that are, you know, some folks who don't recognize the results of the 2020 election. But say their names, talk about who they are. Don't just insinuate that all, the entire party 
which just happens to be your political opposition, is so tainted irredeemably by those forces. Yeah, Lindsey Graham, to that point, did say there would be riots in the streets if Trump is indicted um, after the FBI search of the, the documents at Mar-a-Lago. Trump's own attorney said in court this past week at a hearing over appointing a special master in the case that the temperature needs to be brought down in the country right now. Are, are, do these men know something we don't? Or are they speaking more casually? Like, what are we to make of some of these comments we're hearing? Well, we, we saw like what would happen within the immediate aftermath of the of the you know when 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 the feds uh, searched Trump's Mar-a-Lago mansion that there was there were the people were you know, on high alert if there was someone who went to an FBI office in Ohio, um, you know Graham's rhetoric frankly was beyond the pale like to make threats uh, or insinuate those types of things. Um, so I think those those types of things should be called out, and it's important to specify what you're talking about. But when you kind of when the when you do what the president did, which you know, again conflate the, your domestic political agenda with the health of the democracy, number one, mm. number two, be kind of vague and, and general and not not really point out what what exactly you're saying threatens democracy. Um, the you know the, that 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 makes it more of a first of all, I don't think it was a very effective speech because he didn't didn't go into the detail and the whole speech focused on that one issue. But number two, it, it almost is it, too cute by half in that you're 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 basically. Tr- Saying you're not tr- saying it's the whole Republican Party, but frankly, you are saying the Republican Party is Um Amy Walter at Cook Political said a few months ago, I think I read this on Twitter, that she sat in on two Democratic groups, um, like, I guess, maybe focus type groups with voters. And, and she came away from that with um, the vibe that Democrats want a bigger fight. They want to see, you know, more of a case made. I think this was like you know, as primaries were occurring or just at the beginning of the primary cycle. Is that is that what the, the president's doing? I mean, regardless of, you know, we can, is it political? Is it not political? Are you highlighting policy? What, you know, whatever you're doing, are you trying to fight? Yeah, I mean, the, the Democrats have had a nice month because they started to get off the mat and started fighting, whether it's to protect abortion rights in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision whether it's fighting in Congress to get a majority to pass a climate change and prescription drug uh, benefit uh, in, a, in a partisan way, or whether it's even cutting a few bipartisan deals. Uh, that Democrats have, have gone from being on defense to being on offense and, and setting the agenda. So that is the mood. That, that, that is why Biden feels like he's got a spring in his step as we get closer to November. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a, still a lot of indicators playing against the Democratic Party. The country... Uh, largely does not approve of the president's job performance, even though it's gotten better. Uh, you still have most Americans thinking the country's headed in the wrong direction. The fundamentals still are really, really tough for the party in power, but you can see that spring in, in the president's step as he's gotten a little more partisan lately. and He's really bringing the fight for the Republicans. Josh, just a couple more. You and I have talked about this many times. We've talked about it on, on Tuesday night, primary coverage nights. We've, we've talked for this podcast about this notion of uh, the Democrats doing better, the red wave turning into, I don't know, a stream or a brook or a river. Um, and as you know, we, we do have, uh, you know, good news for the Democrats, right? Even more so after they won that special election in, in New York's 19th district. Um, we saw out of Alaska, Mary Peltola, the Democrat, won the uh, special election House seat over Sarah Palin. Um, were you surprised? And with your analyst hat on, what do you glean from this? 
Yeah, yeah. So the big picture is that there are, have been very encouraging news from special New York special election and some of the, the the party primaries that we've talked about on the air in the last couple of months. But the Alaska race was, some, was 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 somewhat unique, Jess, because it was a ranked choice voting process in which Sarah Palin ended up getting to the, the final round against Mary Paltola, and Palin is uniquely unpopular um, now in Alaska. So I don't know how much of those results can be, you know, it was a, and it was a big upset. Democrats have not held a House seat in Alaska going back to the early 70s. You have, you have to go back almost 50 years. But it's a right. big accomplishment for Democrats, no doubt about it. So oh, Palin's yeah. unique unpopularity really cost her um, against a Democrat who was frankly pretty moderate and, and mainstream when it came to the Alaska politics. Yeah, and we should note turnout in primaries is often – you know, different than general. So we'll we'll see how things shape up in, in November. Um, finally, Josh, what do we start hearing from Republicans now? You know, what's their line of attack now? As you noted, Labor Day is sort of that kickoff uh, where we move from primaries to the generals. Uh, do we do we see Republicans move beyond an inflation argument? And and I, I want to note in that question, you know, because we've, we've heard from Senator Mitch McConnell about candidate quality, at least in Senate races. And then, as you've noted, Florida Senator Rick Scott, who's in charge of the NRSC, said, whoa, stop that. Let's, you know, let's be more supportive. Um, so where do Republicans go now after this speech and as we move to November? The economy is still a winning issue for Republicans. Inflation has not gone away, even as gas prices have gone down significantly. But, but you know, Democrats have gained ground on the economy because of the gas price decline. Uh, crime is a major issue that Republicans are running on especially in, in races involving states with big cities in them. You're seeing that a lot in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania already. Uh, and, and, and uh, you, know, this, I, I, one, you know, one thing that Joe Biden didn't say, didn't bring up in his speech last night, he did not talk about the student loan relief plan that he uh, announced by executive order. But didn't have, I don't know if he has the legal authority to do it, but it's something that was much, much uh, talked about last week. But he, the fact that he did not talk about it, I don't think they think the politics on that is, is where the politics are on the other issues we've been talking about. Uh, so that's going to be an issue where I expect Republicans to start going on offense, that you know, bailing out uh, people with student loans is not just unfair to blue-collar Americans and others who, people who don't have a college degree, but is also inflationary. It also goes back to that inflation issue where uh, it, it's infl- you know a lot of experts, including Larry Summers and Jason Furman, who served in the Obama administration, think it's going to worsen inflation generally, and it also is likely to you know spur tuition inflation at many of the nation's top dollars. Josh Krasauer, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jess. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. California's hard-driving electric car future means a sharp turn away from gas-powered cars and trucks for several states across the country. But with a stunning lack of infrastructure, an inescapable reliance on China for materials to make batteries, and no off-ramp for those who can't afford a $65,000 electric car, critics are warning the state should probably pump the brakes. Electric vehicle proponents insist the sooner all Americans get on board, the better. But as Fox News senior national correspondent Jonathan Hunt discovered, bringing that dream to fruition 
means traveling a bumpy and uncertain road. It is not ready at this point. The longer, more complicated answer uh, and the one that you would get from officials who uh, support this ban on gas car sales is we will get there. Now, obviously, they've set this over a 13 year time frame. Uh, They want one third of new vehicle sales to be zero emissions by 2026, three quarters by 2031. And then we get to 2035 when they say every single new car and pickup truck in California will have to be zero emissions. But no, the infrastructure is not there right now. There aren't enough charges, obviously, uh, for everybody to be charging electric vehicles. The power grid in California, Kevin, uh, is nowhere near reliable enough at this point to think that everybody's going to be able to charge their vehicle whenever they want. And uh, on that point, we have a heat wave coming through here uh, over the next week or so. And we're already being told conserve as much energy as you can. Do not do things like charge electric vehicles. So obviously that sort of uh, infrastructure issue has to be tackled. But what officials will tell you is there is time to do that, Kevin. The thing that's interesting to me about the people who make that argument, having lived in California as I have, I know you live in California, uh, you hear promises like this all the time, but the reality is when you're talking about rolling blackouts as recently as last year, it seems incredible to believe that suddenly, especially with, I believe, San Onofre has been closed for some time. I know there's another nuclear plant that they're talking about Mm -hmm. uh, shuttering. I'm just curious, how do they make the argument? that they will in any way, shape, form, or fashion, Jonathan, be able to support a massive influx of need uh, to generate electricity to power these cars. Yeah, and it's a it's a perfectly good question. The answer from people like Governor Gavin Newsom is that we have a huge budget surplus here in California, and that will be used in part uh, to fix the infrastructure. But uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Kevin. There are plenty of people um, across this state, north, south, east, and west, who would say, well, we've heard those kind of promises before. We still get these kind of blackouts. We still get the warning we're getting right now, which is please conserve energy, otherwise we're going to get more blackouts. So uh, those are perfectly reasonable questions to to ask. We haven't seen the precise detail uh, of how they would propose to improve the infrastructure to the extent uh, where every single person pretty much driving any vehicle in California is using um, electricity to charge that vehicle. So those details they say will come, we will get them. But right now, yes, you're absolutely right. A lot of people would be skeptical that they can get to a point where this will be workable for the general population of this huge state. You know what else is interesting about this story, Jonathan, is it actually branches out. Uh, I can broaden it from California. There are a number of states, apparently, that follow the Golden State's emission standards. Is that is that your understanding as well? Yes, there's there's a memo of understanding, in fact, with uh, at least a dozen states that uh, generally uh, follow the California standards now and uh, already 
since California uh, introduced or, or passed the, this law, um, the Massachusetts and Washington state have already said that they will instigate similar bans on gas car sales. And then you've got uh, around a dozen, you can go right across the country, ju- just off the top of my head, Colorado, uh, Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, Virginia, Vermont, and I believe Washington, D.C., uh, all tend to follow, and, and many more as well, Kevin, uh, all tend to follow California's lead. So if you take all of the states plus uh, D.C. That, that do that, that tend to follow California's lead on emission standards, you're looking at something like one-third of total auto sales uh, for the United States. That is a huge amount. So this is a, a seismic change that we're looking at here uh, for the automakers, obviously, Kevin, and for every uh, consumer who wants to buy a new vehicle across the United States. This is going to force the automakers not that they were necessarily fighting it, but it's going to force them uh, to produce a lot more electrical, electric and hybrid vehicles, obviously, a lot more quickly than they might have planned. So it's an absolute sea change in the industry. Here's the other thing. You mentioned the consumer angle on this story, Jonathan, and I think that's what really strikes me. It's one thing if you live in a nice suburban neighborhood and you have a garage and you can plug in your Tesla and you can afford uh, a sixty, seventy thousand dollar car. Good for you. Go with God. <laughs> What's interesting though is there are literally tens of millions of Americans, Jonathan, for whom the idea of plugging in a car in a garage in a nice, safe neighborhood is simply not the reality. How does the government of the state of California make the argument that this is in the best interest of all consumers? After all, that's the job. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. What they would say to that, Kevin, and they've said to us, is that all of these issues will be tackled. There will be uh, so many more charging stations put in so many more places. So, again, they're asking you to have faith uh, that they will make the infrastructure changes uh, that are necessary. But you're absolutely right. Uh, driving around L.A., for instance, yeah, you can, you can charge pretty easily. And I, uh, full disclosure here, Kevin, I drive an electric vehicle. Uh, I love it. I probably would not go back uh, to a gas-powered vehicle even if I had that choice. My wife, on the other hand, will not give up her gas-powered vehicle uh, without a real fight. And she is absolutely terrified uh, at the range limits, for instance, uh, on electrical vehicles. And what if she, what if she is well outside of L.A.? Uh, she sees that meter ticking down very quickly and you're stuck in a, a in some traffic jam, which are not uncommon all across Southern California. Uh, she's absolutely terrified. So there's a lot of work to do to allay people's fears. Uh, so the government will say, the government of California and the governments of all the other states that will follow suit will say, we'll fix the infrastructure. There'll be plenty of charges and then the automakers will tell you that we're increasing the range on these uh, electrical vehicle batteries uh, every single month they'll get better and better and better so they all say don't worry about it the the fixes will come but again they're asking you to have faith that they will uh, deliver on the results that they're currently promising you make a great point about range anxiety. That's a real thing, Jonathan, if yep. you're out there. <laughs> it and, is. And again, you're far out of town. You you get quite concerned if you're in, I don't know, if you're in the Central Valley somewhere and there's not a charging station 
uh, from miles and miles away. But on the other yep. hand, you're also correct. I, I follow EVs. I'm a big auto fan. And they're improving all the time. You see a car with 300, and there's, a, there's a, I believe it's a Lucid, is north of 500 miles on a single uh, full mm-hmm. charge. So um, there are improvements that are being made, but I think the real concern for most consumers is, A, if I live in an apartment and I live in south-central Los Angeles and I can't take the bus to my job to work for the government of Los Angeles County, um, I'm sorry. Chances are I'm not going to get a charging station in Watts next to my apartment building, and that's the real concern. It sort of rubber meets the road for a number yep. of consumers. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, Jonathan, is there is a lawsuit. Uh, it was actually filed quite some time ago. Um, what can you tell me about that? I do know there are some states. Typically, these are uh, states in other parts of the country that don't want this to spread, if you will, to their environs. Yeah, there are going to be legal challenges and there are mm. ongoing legal challenges. Uh, but I will tell you that the uh, the state of California doesn't believe that any of those legal cha- challenges will stop this. Uh, they say that this is a combination of uh, the state, what the, the state of California wanting to move towards these much lower emission standards. Uh, but also they will tell you that it's the market, that the automakers fully support this. They want to get to um, not necessarily 100%, but close to 100% EVs. They say that the dealers are behind it as well. And we spoke to the uh, president of the California New Car Dealers Association, uh, and he was telling us, for instance, that yes, we are supportive of this. All the automakers are supportive of this. The only question they have is how quickly we get there and whether California is moving too quickly. And on the the question of consumers in uh, in certain lower income uh, neighborhoods, Kevin, that you rightly made the point about there. Uh, the sheer cost is another issue at the moment. You, uh, you also said uh, $60,000 is, is about the entry point for uh, an EV these days, the average price. So that's a lot higher. I believe that's about 20000 higher than the average price for a gas-powered vehicle. So uh, that has to come down too. But again, they say all these things will happen. And one other point I want to make, Kevin, just for people here, is that you have to talk as well. A a big concern that I think will become a global issue is we have a real dependence right now on China for the raw materials to make EV batteries. What do we do when China says, hey, you know, uh, we're moving to 100% EVs. We don't want to give you so much of those raw materials. That's another big concern down the road. It, It might not happen next year. It might not happen in five years. But at some point, the Chinese have a lot of power over whether we can even drive our vehicles if we've gone 100% electric, Kevin. Very good point. And we were talking about 80% of that marketplace for some of those uh, precious metals uh, being controlled by the government of China. Jonathan, always a pleasure. I can't thank you enough. A pleasure to be with you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, Ryan Schmelz takes a look at whether endowments can ease student loan debt, and Jared Halpern takes a look at what a new Congress might look like and whether Speaker Pelosi will keep her title. Until then, I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Thank you for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. 